Hello and welcome to the Nylon Nine podcast. On this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about the new album from Kindness called Something Like a War. Uh, a little bit of a chat about Sinead O'Connor, perhaps, and also Maybe. what's going on in Dublin City with the closure of the Bernard Shaw and Dublin's Creative Spaces. Uh, on this week's podcast, I, you, I'm joined by Andrea Cleary, as uh, ever. Massive shock. Yeah. And we've got a Hello. special guest. Louise Bruton is in oh, the house. <laughs> Cheering myself. <laughs> yeah. Lou Brew, how are you? Doing well. Good, good, yeah. good. Fringing. Fringing hard. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the fringe. Good. Just consuming art. You were <laughs> in the fringe last year. Two last years ago. Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. God, time moves fast. Yeah. Um, we're all slowly dying. <laughs> <laughs> how are you finding this year's um, batch of fringe? Yeah, artists? it's 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 been emotional. I know I've kind of did a thing where I I'm only seen Irish uh, acts, which is kind of like interesting. It's all very local, local made. And um, last night I absolutely bawled my eyes out seeing Sean Kennedy's Nine Weeks, which has like classical music elements in it and a very personal hard story. Um, maybe not one to go to if you're like fragile at any stage. And um, yeah, it's just a full week of Great acts got Symphony of Worms coming up and Admin and Gamad. Yeah. So do you find the fringe um happening at the end of the summer is a good marker for what's happening? Like if festivals are over kind of thing. Even though they're not for me, I'm going to Sense for Safe Harbor this Friday. But um You go to too many festivals now. <laughs> you do. Um no, I think fringe at the end of the summer is a good way to kind of ease you into winter because Yeah, it does feel like that. Yeah, it's the right kind of time of year where we're all telling ourselves we need to settle down, we need to maybe drink less, we need to, you know, you know, focus on our brains instead of, you know, losing our heads. Yeah, or um, kind of re engage with the city after a summer of being elsewhere, maybe mm, in fields. Yeah, and exactly. And move indoors. Yeah. Like I hate outdoor gigs and felt like I just hate listening to music outside. It drives me mad. So when the gigs start coming in, when it's like, oh, this is going to be in Vicker Street. And I'm like, yes, finally, we're <laughs> back indoors with good sound systems. And there's a whole there's a whole group of people that I maybe don't see during the summer because they don't go to music festivals. Yeah. yeah. So when I've been going to loads of shows now, it's kind of like a reemergence to Dublin. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. Where have you been in the field? <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of gigs before and uh, indoors, we were both at the Club of Comfort Fringe uh, party last yes. week. How did you find it? I loved it. So it was in the National Stadium and uh, in in the back bar of the National Stadium. I thought, oh, I, thought, was, I thought it was like a basketball court. No, I don't think it was just, it was just a bar. All right, just had a basketball court. It, had, it had an old hall style feel. Yeah. Like it, it was like you're in the community hall. Yeah, I thought yeah. We, were, we were like at the Gale Talks, but we're like heavy, heavy, heavy techno plane. Yeah. Um, and and you're allowed to shift people. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were shifting loads. <laughs> loads of shifting happening. Uh, no, it was great. Uh, it was really good. I really felt in a really positive sense that it was a nice to see a generation below me do something on a grand scale that felt like a bit of a flashpoint for, you know, club culture in Dublin. And to do it as part of the Fringe, I thought was a really clever thing because it brought probably a bit of interest and a bit of uh, maybe ceremony is the, not the right word, but like something along those lines to the event that made it feel like, oh, this is a part. This isn't just like a dirty rave in a hall in Dublin. 8. It is actually part of the Fringe. It is uh, representing youth culture and club culture and all that kind of stuff and uh, an open inclusive 
non-binary friendly space as well so mm. well I think like it's it's definitely it's run by people who are all maybe in around the age 25 26 but the people attending there were all ages like, yeah which is great yeah, yeah and if you you didn't if you walked in the door having never been a part of it before you wouldn't necessarily feel excluded by it it's it, like, a very like inclusive space um but I think by having it on the fringe program I think it really kind of just kind of elevated the fact that music is culture and clubbing is culture there's a community born from it and like you saw like we were like we were like dancing there and you can see the hardcore community that they've already created and I think they're kind of they're moving on into such a way where I think clubbing might necessarily be about the space anymore it's about the community that's born from it and club comfort has moved around like they don't have a set venue Um, and that's the nice thing about them yeah I think yeah communities are basically the only thing that keep clubs going these days in terms of you know whether it's a niche like for for example your pure shores night has a very specific audience in a lot of ways because of the music you play or um club comfort has a specific audience or mother i mean if you have a place for a certain kind of people or a large group of different disparate people to gather then that will appeal to uh long term i think Mm. and i can really help improve um, the city's nightlife, which has been on my mind a lot this week, which we're about to discuss. Why is that? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, speaking of like a place where many people would congregate and mix, the Bernard Shaw announced this week that it was going to close after 13 years at the end of October. Uh, in the statement that they said, uh, we really tried it hard over the last few months to renew the lease, stay on longer or buy the place. A lot of things didn't go our way over the last 12 months. Um, They went on to say, um, Dublin is changing. We can all see and feel it, but we are going nowhere and we won't go down without a fight. We'll start something else somewhere else and keep fighting the good fight. There are so many young, creative, clever, smart people in Dublin and Ireland at the moment and there's lots to be optimistic about. But they need the space to meet each other, make plans and make them happen. So there was kind of an outpouring, um, and rightly so, with this news. And I heard it was coming last week and kind of, like even though you hear something's coming, it's still when you see it out there yeah. and people reacting to it, it's really sad. Um, it's the latest in the long line of venues and cultural spaces that have closed in Dublin City. Um, most notable in the last couple of years, the likes of Hangar and District Eight, um, a few other places like the complex have just reopened on a new space. But we've had a lot of closures in the last few years, certainly. Anything that thrived in the recession has seemed to have shuttered, basically. Um, I can think of very little else that thrived in the recession other than the Fumbly Cafe that is currently left. Um, There's very little left from that time period that has been able to sustain itself. And this is a problem we're seeing, I guess, in a lot of different European cities, especially on all over the world, really. But like when there is no money in a city, the artists can find places to occupy and be and uh, to make communities. But when the money moves back in or we have the likes of, in our particular um, situation, vulture funds and stuff like that, buying up properties that no one can possibly um, match in terms of money, you know, where does that leave us? And I think a lot of people have been feeling this uh, kind of sense of desperation around Dublin culture in the last while. And this has only compounded it even more. 
Lou, you had a lot to say about this um, this week. You wrote a piece on Image uh, about it. Very good piece. Thank you very much. Um, um, yeah, like the Bernard Shaw, like I, it's only just clicked with me there that the Bernard Shaw opened the year that I moved to Dublin. So I moved to Dublin when I was in 2006, when I was 18. And then that was when like the Celtic, like we were at that point where the Celtic Tiger was still kind of like roaring around, but the crash was just about to come. So there was a really big divide in Ireland, like definitely much in Ireland between the like super, rich and then the rest of us and it was kind of like a lot of kind of the culture and entertainment was being geared towards like the the Irish models and the profiteers that they were going out with so you know they were all those idiots that you heard that were like flying helicopters around Ireland yeah. to the to the Navin race course and then to the Galway races and then just what they felt wasn't of use to them we the rest of like in Dublin specifically found it and made something of it. So it was like taking what wasn't considered a shiny plaything and making it something decent for everybody else. So that's kind of what the Bernard Shaw became. And the fact that it sits kind of at the tail end of the Harcourt Street area, which, you know, isn't for everybody. Like that's sort of the, the kind yeah. of the, the glam clubbing. Well, no, I don't know. It's neither of those things. <laughs> it's, it's not glam and it's not clubbing. But it's those kind of like super commercial kind of nightclubs that, you know, there, there's not much, there's not much taste going on there. It's the most basic yeah. version of nightclubbing yeah. um, is, you know, going and getting your shift at, before closing time, as everyone says about coppers. Um, you know, it's like where in the last 13 years, especially like we've talked about the Bernard Shaw as an example, that's an old pub that was repurposed for, uh, to make a space for music, for DJs, for galleries, for uh, graffiti artists, for flea markets for food vendors for a cafe um for a bus that sells pizza that is not every festival going these days yeah like if you think of what like i know a lot of what the bernard shaw kind of was in the beginning was maybe kind of ideas that were plucked from like places like berlin and london but when it came to dublin now when you go to maybe any town across ireland there are resemblances of bernard shaw there like yeah. it really it it made pubs a place that weren't just for absolutely losing the head to yeah. Um, it was a place to kind of like learn and meet other people in a new way. Like I, I remember when people were kind of like, why would you want to like, why would you want to go to a market in a pub? And it's like, why not? Yeah. Like, why, why do you have to, why do you have to follow the same structure all the time in terms of drinking and culture? Why can't you com combine the two? Yeah. And they've always been very good at um, that kind of thing in the show, even most recently doing a crisp festival, <laughs> you know, yeah. or uh, they had a chili cook off that I was there on Sunday that Aoife, my wife made uh, a chili for, it was a charity thing. Um, just loads of different things like that that are just a bit off the wall that they would do and no one else has ever done really. And even allowing, you mentioned in your piece, the Savita mural on the wall, stuff like that. Very few businesses would allow, would put their heart in the sleeve and, and their politics out on the walls uh, most dire as directly as they would. And obviously, like, Body Tonic are the owners of um, Bernard Shaw. They've since opened uh, the complete opposite, really, of um, the Bernard Shaw with Jam Park and Swords, which is its own thing. It's basically a super club repurposed, right venue repurposed as its own cool event space with arcades and uh, golf and so it's that kind of idea of like this can be a one-stop shop for everyone but that's kind of like more the upmarket suburban version of the show well it's in interesting way. that the kind of what is considered <coughs> like upmarket the right venue has been repurposed in that way when we seem to be getting when we seem to be getting um, all these like what are meant to be upmarket weather spoons taking over all the buildings so yeah it, it's there's a weird flip going on and I think as well with 
in terms of there being more spaces, you know, cropping up around the place. We were talking about this off, off mic before we started recording that it does seem that the city is going to be held together by just places where you can go and have a 13 euro pink gin and tonic in a hotel bar and get shit faced, go to D2s and go home. And those kind of more communal centers where artists and musicians gather are being pushed out as the people are being pushed out of the city. Artists and musicians are always going to find spaces to meet each other. Like I've, I've no, I, I, I'm not worried about Dublin's artistic scene in terms of it, like falling apart or anything. We'll always find places to go, but it's just going to become that bit more disparate. And as the city sprawls outwards and as people move to commuter towns, so too will the artists have to as well. And there's, it's, well, it's just going to leave a void in the middle of the city where you can go and stay for a night for 200 mm. quid. I... That's sort of a semi-positive take on it, I guess. Well, um, uh, yeah, it's 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 positive in that it's art, fatal, art, fatal, art, fatalistic. Art isn't going anywhere, but it's it's going away from here. Well, when but, you can, oh, sorry, you, sorry. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about, and this is a point that you made in your piece, actually, is about you know what the Shaw and spaces like that represent that they don't. You can't like lament because it wasn't. It mightn't have been there before. Is the kind of people who are given opportunities to do things like DJing or art or all that kind of stuff um, in a space like that where that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So you need these cultural hubs and places to go. We already live in a city that doesn't allow us to sit outside or sit on a bench without being moved on pretty much or anything like we're not allowed to use our own public space most of the time. And now we're not allowed to use our own private space in the way we want. Um, So in isolation, the Bernard Shaw isn't a big deal. Um, but it is really because it's been happening over and over and over again in the last few years. And I don't really know if the you, the reaction that you get from people who are just like, oh, it looks a shit, shit, shithole anyway. You know, like there are people that and Una's piece was, was addressed that in a way that I really appreciate because it's like just because you have what you want doesn't mean like whether it's the press up or an old boozer. Dublin is actually built on and its reputation on old boozers and all that crack thing. And, you know, like Bernard Shaw is exactly the same as that. It's just an old boozer. Like, I don't understand the whole like, oh, man, like it blood makes my blood boil when you see people like Mannix Flynn, who is supposed to represent culture in this city as a councillor, saying stuff like, uh, oh, it's just a bunch of hipsters in Bernard yeah, Shaw. Yeah, I hated that. You're like, what the fuck is yeah. wrong with you? Like, you're supposed to be the pro-culture person representing artists and you campaign on that and you're saying that yeah you're just propagating like that divisive nature that divisive thing of that you people are just like oh the bunch of hipsters glad it's closed you know i think what 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 boils my blood so much about people saying it's only a pub yeah it is only a pub but there is a direct link from the closure of the bernard shaw to art and cultural policy in this country which is largely ignored and there's a direct link from art and cultural policy to our, I don't know, our desperation to get in these foreign investments and these tech companies. And, you know, like you, you can see what's happened down, you know, down by the point, the, the, the silicon docks, like it's, it's such a, it's such a shame that we can all see it. And obviously they can, they being the government can see it too, but because spaces like the Shaw 
are more profitable once you co-opt its aesthetic and turn it into something that you can profit on, like taking the art from the artist, repurposing it and selling it to people who are, you know, coming here to experience culture as tourists or as people who are going to move here. Like, I, I hate the idea that there are going to be tourists coming to Dublin and not finding any genuine artistic spaces and just finding these, like, I don't know, these copies of them. It's like, like, uh, when, when, when large places started serving drinks in jam jars, it's that on like a massive scale. Well, like it's the fact that you can walk into a bar anywhere in the world and it's the exact same. Yeah. Like that's about, uh, Weatherspoons creeps me out. Like it's, it's the creepiest concept. I hate it. And yeah, it's the exact same everywhere you go. Why would you go anywhere? I like, actually don't mind the weather. I don't so mind much it's because they're different. Like they the are actually things. different. Yeah. Because I've been to a few and I was like, oh, I thought and originally when I heard about weather, I thought they were all the same. They all mm. looked exactly the same. But actually not they've, that bad. they've kind of they've saved old pubs in a lot of places in London from sitting idle. They have their place. Mm. Yeah. And they do. They become they are like a whole like the the pub the English pub is like different to the Irish pub yeah um and like it's they perfect within music. that sitting yeah like it's very much it's the Weatherspoons is very much a part of a community in the many pockets of mm. kind of London that kind of needs it but the way that it's been used here um I think it is being sold as sort of like an upmarket thing because where is it it's in yeah. Black Rock uh, Black there's one Leary. Leary. Yeah, yeah. and then there's going to be one in town just cheap points people love yeah. cheap points but that's the thing like who who needs cheap pints it's young people and students and the idea that young people and students are going to be going to this this like you know global copied pub instead of small places like the Shaw do you know we've talked about this a lot uh, at home based on you know talking about travel and when you go and that that whole idea of kinfolk and that you know aesthetic of kinfolk you can go anywhere in Europe or the world now and no matter where you go, you will find something to match your aesthetic, if that is your kinfolk aesthetic. So it's that kind of like, it's the comfort and the safety of all that that allows people not to get outside their comfort zones ever when they go anywhere. It's like, the kind of, you know, the idea of going on holidays to Spain and having and just going to McDonald's or something like that. Yeah. It's like you will never experience anything different. And I just don't understand how there's no... I think what the most exasperating thing about all this stuff and the Bernard Shaw um, signifies is like the lack of um, variation in what we're offering and what's happening and the fact that, okay, yeah, venues are closing, poems that we love are closing, but what is replacing it is monotonous. There's only one thing. There's only, it's, there's nothing there. There's nothing there for, like the whole point that Una was making was that like, it's great that you have press up or like an old booze or whatever you want, but you, there needs to be choice. There needs to be different viewpoints represented in a city. A city isn't just one monoculture. And I hate this idea that even if you're talking about tourists or ourselves, that, you know, yeah, there's, I've seen memes going around about like, oh, there's just carols, you know, on carols and malls everywhere. And that like everything will just be turned into a carols. Yeah, look, that's one thing. But this is a, the whole thing, this whole policy or lack of policy that's driving Dublin City like there should be zoning for this kind of stuff. You, there should be, you should have to actually, I know there are some lip service kind of zoning uh, laws in applications and stuff. Like one in the Dublin Enquirer last week said there was a developer that was trying to, that was building an apartment block or something like that. And they were trying to give money 
to uh, like the public uh, space instead of building a public space they were like oh, let's give it like lip service basically you know and it's like that same idea as give us the night and the mandate that I have about the agent of change if you're if you were a place like the Bernard Shaw and there are people building hotels around you or whatever apartment blocks and offices that because you were there first uh, you have the right to uh, dictate the sound levels and policy and all that kind of stuff it's just that level, that developmental level of respect for what's happening in this country and this city is not there. There's no vision. And I'm really getting pissed off with the lack of vision. Yeah. And just, I mean, is it already too late is the question? I mean, like, we, do we all just sell our city to the vulture funds years ago? And that's, this is the logical outcome of it all? It feels that way, but I, I can't let myself kind of land on that. I don't know, just given, given my like resurgence of love for this city over the past few years. I think a, a lot to do with the fact that I was, you know, living and working in Dublin during both major referendums that have happened and just found so much community and so much support here that I, like when I was growing up, I didn't like Dublin very much. Um, and now kind of l- later in life, um, I, ha- I have, you know, reignited my gra for it especially how politically minded we are and how kind of, I don't know, like there, there there's a momentum for us to enact change and to, to demand what we feel is like rightfully ours. So I, I just don't know where to put that energy. Like I have it in me, I'm willing to fight for it but I don't know where to put it. And I don't think I'm the person to start a movement either. But it, always, it kind of feels like Dublin nightlife kind of goes in waves. Like there's always these amazing flashes. Like I feel like nothing has ever been quite consistent or kind of like long lasting. But you remember, you might remember this it was around 2010, 2011-ish when every, there were so many BYOB events happening yeah. in like Little Green Gallery, Moxie Studios, Block T, um, there's loads more that I'm forgetting. You used to do some, was it Monster Truck Gallery? Monster yeah. Truck Gallery, yeah. All, um, all of those places are closed now, I think. Yeah. All, all gone. Um, Little Green Gallery has been bulldozed. Uh, I don't know, actually. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was where near Complex. Um, was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's just been, it's an office now. That's an office now, super. Um, but there, I remember there was one Good Friday and it was like, because that was, we used to go just have our bag of cans, go see DJs and just hang out. And there was one Good Friday where the guards just did like a sweep of all of these BYOB events. Like we were enemy number one. Um, and that was the end of it. It was, it was like a, they were kind of wielding kind of like fire safety certs. And that was it. That was the end of that phase. <laughs> Um, uh, my boss as well and I, I also did a gig in uh, where uh, Newmarket in the Dublin Food Co-op which is also gone and the Green Market Green Door Market also gone um, yes that's part of the greater problem with the city is the restrictions on actually using a space are very it's so hard to open uh, to the public for a thing whether it's insurance or fire safety or all that kind of stuff uh, Dave Smith from my boss was saying once that um, you know he had a New Year's Eve gig and the only way they were able to do it, get around it, was like having a members kind of thing, but it was dubious anyway. But the fire safety officer came down at like 11, 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve to shut him down. And you're like, yeah. I think you managed to like say, look, we'll shut down at two, just like yeah. or one or two. Give or me an like hour that. and a minute. Like. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes these people can be reasonable, but like, and we definitely had that with, with Gig and Block T. I remember we had 
the Galaxy. Oh, is there, yeah. Rosangano family and I think Planet Parade and it was a BYO event and the guards But they had full planning. Like it was yeah. all, all But it was basically, board. the problem was there were people gathering outside and they didn't like that. Um, so they came back, they said, we're going to come back in an hour and if you're not all gone, um, we'll find you. But the problem is like, should, shouldn't it be the role of a culture minister to make sure that, you know, silly loopholes like that can't be taken advantage of that there are like you said zoning spaces where yeah i'm wh- tired of being you... always told what i can't do and not what i can do yeah and that's the problem i yeah. think this city that's kind of the policy of this city is yeah. like you can't do that well like work with me and tell me what we can do because yeah. like it's always beneficial to have a variation of different things happening and, and yeah. i think the idea that everything is uh, anything that happens outside of a pub or a club or an establishing is antisocial is gone it is gone it and should even be. the way the guards and uh, public representatives are talking about the give us die campaign and the uh people are starting to finally value and recognize club culture as a valid culture yeah uh, here. well look if they're calling what happens outside the bernard shaw antisocial i'd hate for them to see half three or four in the morning on harcourt street do you know yeah, like which is part it, of the other thing about yeah the give us a night campaign and the stagger closing times and to address that and yeah like which obviously makes sense in terms of simple things like a taxi service that i can actually function at half three at night yeah um or anybody who just wants to act like a grown-up and stay until four or half four yeah. you know yeah. because but we're it's not that radical we it's can, not ra- we're yeah. always told what we can't do here I mean, yeah and that also works for, um, you know, actually allowing space. Like today there was, now we were just looking at it today, but there's um, there's a government policy today to allow artists to apply for the dole essentially. And it makes no sense to me at all whatsoever because it's basically saying if you're an artist, you have to, It make, there's a whole, like I'm still figuring this out, but their rules say you have to be unemployed and also self-employed at the same time. I'm like, how so does that work? Making how can no you be, money? No, but this is the thing. One of the other rules is, is you have to have made the exact same amount of money from your music or your art in the previous year as you did from your regular job. So none of it makes any but sense But I mean, we're all. like grants. Yeah, like a specific grant. Give people grants, grants you this know? Is like, like, this is like, this. maybe I can understand why it might be. If you're somebody... I'll take Nilo as an example, right? Because Nilo is an artist uh, who started doing rap in the last couple of years. Um, if he's listening, sorry for using you. Um, doing rap. <laughs> do, doing the rap. Uh, no, but like, so he was, he was talking recently about like take having a full-time job and then deciding to leave it and to pursue music. So this could function in a way for him. This uh, grant could, or this, uh, the, he could basically apply to be on the dole, but have an artist. Um, I think it's, I don't really get it because it basically says, if he decides he has to register as self-employed, but then he has to be actively looking for work at the same time. So yeah. it's like, it's the optics of that. Again, well, you're well, it's, like, it's you're saying, saying that to an, art isn't work. Yeah, you're, exactly. Yeah. You're saying, oh, look, it's just, look, we give it a year. We won't bother you too much. But you still yeah. have to go and look for a job. So it's like, yeah. that's what they are doing by being an artist. And yeah. that is there at that level I mean, in the what? welfare system, in the revenue system, and in uh, the larger politics system in terms of uh, city policy and city planning and urban planning and all that kind of stuff. And there is supposed to be, there's been so much talk in the last 10 years of you know city planning and urban planning and things that they're getting right and things are getting wrong, but it's just not moving fast enough. But what do they think attracts people to this country? Like people come here to experience our art and our literature and our culture and these things can't be treated 
anymore like hobbies like like oh we we have a few geniuses here so come see them like eventually we're just gonna attract people to come here to stay in hotels that are named after artists who had to move abroad so that like the Bono hotel or like the whatever hotel like it's going to be like, oh, come come and see the remnants of what this city used to be like. You well, know? there is a long history of a lot of people having to leave uh, absolutely. Ireland yeah. and Dublin to, yeah, to I, have success. Like, I so. have so many friends who are musicians and artists who are in Berlin right now and they're thriving there. And like the amount of the amount of going away parties that we've had for them in the Bernard Shaw, like it just it brings it right right around to that it's like now we don't even have spaces to say goodbye to these people anymore you know it's and I'm working in like a tech company in this city so I see it from the other side as well where it is all you know it's it's the idea of these like tech companies wanting cool spaces and wanting spaces that used to be an old mill and I was up by I was up by the point the other yesterday or someday one day I was was at with the point recently I was there recently um but like I was wondering what that whole area is going to look like in five years time where it's all just like these kind of uh, big flat uh, apartment complexes and all with ground floor retail spaces and I was wondering I was like will like how is it going to keep growing because when you think of the ways in, in that in Berlin they've kind of like tried to do things but then the people reclaim it I'm kind of like are we ever going to have like this stage where we where we'll proper proper properly reclaim these spaces that were intended for the big techs but like the big yeah. tech companies aren't going to hang around here forever they can't especially you know with a, to keep them. a certain Brexit thing happening like it's all do you think we are still not um able to value our own culture enough that we will on a governmental level even protect it I think people are we fundamentally just like a bit more about ourselves I think the people that are maybe in charge of dishing out grants for culture and in charge of maybe promoting culture are stuck in the old ages and what they define as culture so you know people still want their kind of maybe their kind of something that was made in the image of Luke Kelly as culture like you won't be getting kind of like people kind of like as you're saying kind of like maybe Nilo or maybe like Loa or people that are doing something that is not of that they're not going to be promoted only the if same they way. make it despite that like yeah. even look more more recently at like Hosey or, or Dermot Kennedy they may have uh, received some grants there but it's about recognizing that actually you can actually accelerate that even more you can help and you know the whole point about Hosier, for example, is like he hires people who are Irish to work on his tour, to be in his band, all that kind of stuff, to be on his team, and that develops the industry in music here. Same as what we've seen in film. You know, a bit of money goes a long, long way, and doing it smart and actually looking at what people are doing and all that kind of stuff, and that extends to venues or at least it should or pubs or spaces or cultural spaces like every time i go to belfast i always think about the oh yeah center the place that you can go if you're young or old and you want to go and use a music studio or see a talk or see a gig or go to a cafe or go to a bar and it's a multi-purpose space that is for a cultural hub i've seen i've walked in there on a sunday and seen a very older generation being regaled with a, a an older Belfast musician that I can't remember. Maybe he was in the band Them with uh, Van Morrison. So I've seen that space. I've seen that happen, and I've seen that. And we don't have that here. Well, in fairness, um, a lot of the spaces that are kind of on the outskirts of Dublin along the M50, say like Andriacht, yeah. um, kind of Rua, um, the Mermaid in the Mermaid Arts Centre in Bray. 
they are dying to get people into their spaces and they have studio space and they have kind of workshop space and they have people using them kind of within those areas and they're maybe in the way that we were talking about jam park um beforehand in that fortunately and unfortunately maybe the way they're kind of uh, kind of socializing and clubbing and culture is going is moving to the areas where people are moving to or moving to the areas where people are commuting from and kind of along that kind of belt outside of the city maybe more recognition needs to be given to these spots that are cultural hubs but there is maybe just a resistance to think that they're there yeah, yeah that could come a time for mm. sure and i think it would be very welcome to see that um the city's uh, cultural events and uh, attendances expanded over to the suburbs a bit more and i think like there are things happening in dunleary dunleary is a buzzy little yeah. town at times the, well, light, Dun- the lighthouse Dun- which is owned by body tonic again um dunleary Lim- has some massive massive um tech companies going to be moving in in i think 20 2021 and 2022 there's like this massive massive plan to like basically build another tech hub in Dunleary I'm really worried I'm like close enough to Dunleary I go down there like most weekends and I'm really worried about what's going to happen down there because I I love it down there and yeah like you've got the gorgeous market down there you've got lovely spots to go and even like watch some trad there's some poetry nights that happen down there but yeah it's it's just a shame that it's gonna be like you'll only ever really come into the center for work and then you have to like go elsewhere or stick to your area for socializing and for culture well like when you think of the way that kind of maybe london is like it's say if you're walking in around the liverpool street area of a weekend it is a ghost town but if you go like a few blocks over you're on brick lane and it's a different like a that's a constantly changing thing once it was underground now it's totally commercial and it's just that it's kind of how do you keep up with the change and kind of like when we're like just discussing weather spoons in the way that we are, we're kind of like, that's not an authentic experience or that's not a real Irish reflection, but it's kind of like, well, what kind of is now and how can we, there's no comparison in any other city and what is actually authentic now because it's all constantly changing. Yeah. So kind of culture is happening in the place that you don't know, like that you haven't been to yet. Yeah. So like, you know, we're not necessarily makers in that way, but like, and maybe not necessarily in the age group that can, will be, doing the change that makes the culture more prominent again but like I do like with Club Comfort I'm kind of I'm kind of like it's the things that they're doing that are off the beat or that are off like the the what's the word the the beaten track (laughs) (laughs) off the beat uh off the beaten track and that's where the excitement is it's the resistance it's the resistance to the big change that's where we just need to find that point and there's hope there definitely in in like the younger generation who are coming up and starting to put on not not even just club nights and things but uh, like poets that are coming up and writers and but to bring it back to the venues like i mean uh, and the show in particular you know like una's point in the irish times article today about brew tonic and craft beer and all that kind of stuff testing grounds for for new things that become pretty standard everywhere else like craft beer was not a thing 10 years ago and now it is coffee wasn't a thing 10 years ago and now it is Tria Fee got its start in um, before, Twisted Pepper yeah, as a yeah. small space. And that was Trev from Bonnie Tonic giving somebody a chance. Yeah. Again, Trev owned uh, Bernard Shaw and a few other places. So if you don't have those people, you might not have, like, for example, here's one example of like a Tria Fee, the leading coffee 
brand in Ireland, basically, and an internationally recognized uh, brand for for third world coffee, if you want to call it, um, that might not have existed. Like, that might not yeah. have been there. So there's loads of these things. And that's what, like, you can't lament what you know, what you don't know is gone because it hasn't been developed or given the room to breed. You don't know what you don't know. And that's where that's I'm it. a bit exasperated by. It was like, just not having that space to be able to meet different kinds of people. And Burn Shop was really, really good. Or having the space to fail as well. Because yeah. I think there is there is a big danger in... So like when I am looking for spaces to host events, it's particularly difficult because of obviously, obviously access. But there aren't those spaces anymore. But you also kind of have to almost go to um, people who are like running events with a, kind of a portfolio um, of kind of like, don't worry, I'll bring the people. And it's kind of measured like in terms of kind of like social media in that kind of way where it's kind of like people want to know that they have the backing before something even begins. And it feels like there's just less of a chance for someone new, someone without a connection, someone who's kind of like testing the waters and what they can do. And that's kind of what like the Bernard Shaw and Twisted Pepper were. It was people who were learning the ropes and those people are now the ones running a lot of the events in in Dublin and kind of further afield as well. So like you need people to be able to fail and fail and fail until they get it right. And it's annoying that those, yeah, that those opportunities are going now. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, that's, and that's it. I think like those spaces are few and far between and that's why it hurt so much this week for that to be actually going. I think this week was like the, it felt like the last straw, like after, you know, the markets going earlier in the yeah, year. Yeah, the Dublin flea markets. It's crazy that yeah. they can't find a space Absolutely for something not. so but successful. It's especially because uh, Burnshaw made a profit last year. They made like 620,000 or something profit last year. Like they were doing well. Yeah. yeah. They're doing well. It's not like people weren't going. Like, no, yeah. The, the, the place they, is always packed. They couldn't buy the place because um, they tried to. Um, despite they had noise complaints, which I heard were all organized and sorted out with the actual residents. And it was on board Planola that was holding up and they had to, presumably they never actually got the chance to put the application back in because of this development, which is basically, hey, the, I want to sell the building. And they were like, oh, we will, we, can we buy it? It was like, no, they're giving us more money for it. And that's it. And even the on board Planola's like, uh, phrasing, of how they address, you know, like the Bernard Shaw isn't in step with what's emerging in the area. I hated that. I yeah. hated that Like it was so weird. So I, I, I yeah. walk that route like almost every day and I was kind of noticing as that big office space restaurant thing that's open, it's called Dulali. Um, I was like, I was like, Dulali. Um, so you got that and then you noticed all of the shops that were kind of been kind of boarded up beside it, kind of like Portobello Pizza and the, the gym and the and the vegetable shop. Spiceland. Spiceland, yes. R.I.P. Spiceland. And like, yeah. you know, kind of Mahant around the corner. I was kind of like, what is going on there? Why are they all boarded up? And I was like, wow, Bernard Shaw is really sticking out like a sore, sore thumb there because it's not fitting in with that glassy, sheeny exterior that the office block has. Yeah. And there's just these big pits of construction that are happening behind it. So in my head, I was a bit like, God, I, I wonder how that will fare when it becomes this business district and it's just yeah, business people going right. for lunches and now you have your answer. Yeah. yeah. I thought in Una Malali's piece, the image that was like a wonderfully ominous image of the cranes, you know, hanging over the city and picking picking the spot that's next that they're going to just Oh, rip you had it as well. It. Vultures. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Literally. Like it's just, yeah. it's, it, it is what it feels like. And it's, um, it's very scary, but like I, I keep coming back to this idea of like, what can I do? 
because I'm not. What are I, you going to do? I don't, well, know, this, I don't know. This, this is the last question before we move like, on. Like, what, so, what can we do? What can we do? And that's something that I've been asking myself a lot. Like, a public protest doesn't is useful, but I don't think it's, like, actually impactful. It maybe f- makes everyone feel better in the short term. Mm. Um, We're not going to have an election for a while until Brexit is done. So, um, yeah, the... the the real, but it's the, it, ending the, the, question the problem is policy. This. Like it, it yeah. the problem. It you know you follow the money. It goes all the way to the top. Like everyone um, cares about this right now because it's how it just happened. But in two or three weeks or two months or whatever else until the next place is announced that they're going to close, what can be done? Actually, what can be done? Does anyone have an answer? I mean, I don't really have an answer either. So answers on a postcard. Please. I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> but like, like this is the conversations we're having. Yeah. Uh, every day here at the moment is like, what can be actually done? Yeah. Can we? Like, how can you show your support? Like, um, like I think it's it's multifaceted. It's not only, you know, having a protest about this. This is, like, inextricably linked with rent prices and the current housing problem as well. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's linked all part with, of it, yeah. It's linked with all of these different things. So until there's a change up above, I, I like, yeah, we care about this now because the Bernard Shaw and, you know, in, interest in this as a, as a thing might wane. But I've no doubt in my mind that in a month's time, something else is going to come up. And then in another month, something else is going to come up. And yeah, I, I think the only thing that we can do is like arm ourselves politically in terms of like knowing fu- fully who is going to actually support the city the next time we go to vote. I think in terms of with kind of politicians, like I feel like the only ones who really kind of know what's going on with the city and who live in the same way that we do are members of the Green Party. Yeah. Um, they're the people, anytime I've spoken to any of the, the uh, around my area, the councillors, Green Party councillors around my area, they they are living the same lives as we are, whereas other political parties, you know, they're offered three course meals five course meals even sometimes yeah. well i have a lot like, of time for in my area rebecca moynihan for example as another person who is engaged with the local community and this particularly the culture aspect of it yeah um, and in our last elections like we had a massive like unprecedented support for the green party so if that if that momentum keeps up hopefully we can see changes but i would also say like and i've seen it a lot in the last day or so like supporting publications like the dublin Enquirer yeah, and actually absolutely. engaging with them and uh, subscribing to them is a really clever way of of actually keeping up with what's going on i know a lot of the times hearing about council meetings can be the most boring thing on earth mm. but that's how they get get you that's how they get past these like the actual change that happens in this city happens yeah. at boring council meetings that sometimes even i read during the week like they don't even know what they're voting on half the time yeah. so to be held accountable and to have a, a publication actually reporting on what they're doing to the city is really important and um, we didn't have that a few years ago and it's nice to be able to point to specific things that somebody said because they were logged by uh, a publication so yeah absolutely shout out to Dublin Enquirer mm. for that and I think one thing that's definitely quite easy to do is to actually go to the things that people yeah. do, do, do like go to the things that you say you're going to go to or go to the things that you want to go to don't treat out every event like there's a next time like if that's in terms of gigs or if it's in terms of events or it's a case of fringe shows or it's a case of anything because you can't have events without the people. Yeah. And there's only so many times that events can keep going with, you know, half bored people. Yeah. yeah. So. Fight for your right to party. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, absolutely. Fight partying. That's it. Um, I, we move on to another cultural institute, Irish Cultural Institute, um, who was on The Late Late last Friday. Sinead O'Connor. I didn't actually see the interview, but I saw the performance. I also didn't see the interview, but I just talked <laughs> to Neither of I. Let's Sorry, talk. Hey. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about the performance and kind of 
situated in so um D- Dave Hanratty wrote a really really great piece on Joe Daddy kind of um tearing apart people who were just being really really horrible about uh, about her which I don't want want to go into too much but just kind of Sinead O'Connor as one of our cultural institutions as you said um returning I don't think anyone expected her to sing Nothing Compares to You yeah. on an Irish television show. I, I just found it so moving and it it marked her now as just this this woman who's just been through so much garbage from media at home and abroad. And yet here she is, you know, defiantly smiling and just being the most talented woman in Ireland. Um despite it all and it just it was something that lifted me a lot just seeing her do it and I just thought it was a lovely thing so a reason to be cheerful a reason to be yeah. cheerful <laughs> is Sinead, Sinead O'Connor's current good health and, and she's playing Fela 19 I think she's doing the entire Shane McGowan yeah uh, that's right yeah. Book, yeah yeah so Fela mm. happening in Thurlis mm. um, 19 to 20 in September I believe yeah also the Late Late Show was real packed last week they had Lewis Capaldi the on it as well was it wasn't it yeah oh, oh was that it was the first one of the Late Late Lads yeah, no, this, but this but is what culture in Ireland is yeah. this is the, the Late Late Show yeah. Yeah. I'm not going um, out I'm going to stay home and watch the Late Late no yeah. bye clubs okay we can move on from the Late Late then <laughs> okay it's time for songs of the week our first song this week is from FKA Twigs and Future and the song is called Holy Terrain and it sounds like this Fall asleep, man. Pray for my sins, make me stronger while we can. We die, we die together, the prophecy complete, yeah. We can how we touch the sky until we deceased, yeah. And if you pray for me, I know you play for keeps, yeah. Calling my name, calling my name. Taking the feeling Okay, that was uh, FK Twigs and Holy Terrain featuring Future, uh, the first track from her forthcoming album, Magdalene. Um, and that came out yesterday. I'm a little bit surprised by it, to be honest. I, it is very different than what I was hoping for. It's an FK Twigs song we can properly dance to. Yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, you're into it. Yeah. I, fi- I find it's very, um, I don't know, it's just a bit too mainstream trap kind of buzz for me for somebody like FK Twigs. It's produced by Skrillex and Jack Antonoff. Yeah. Together. Combo. How about that? Uh, but it makes me Jack Antonoff is the press up of pop music at the moment. <laughs> yeah, this is the third week in a row. He's been mentioned three weeks in <laughs> yeah, a row. Yeah. Like Another Ray, Taylor Swift. I know this. I know FK Twigs. Yeah. Okay. Good I man, get, Jack. I guess he's he's we, getting if, the work anyway. If we, <laughs> Jack of all trades. Yeah. If, we, if we stop talking about uh, really good female pop stars, then maybe he might piss off from yeah. music. But that's probably not. I mean happen. he's he, he's not doing too bad. Um like the the ta- the the Lana Del Rey album was, you know, exceptional. So, um, yeah, I think I'm probably with you on this, Niall. Um, I, I like her on this a lot, but I feel like there's a... I'm not used to there being so much going on around her um, 
she kind of sounds the same. She's still doing that kind of high register, wispy, vocally stuff. Um, she's very good at. Which she's just sure. like. Is I think a lot thing. of it's down to production for me. And uh, I don't know. I read an article, an interview with her in the failure, I think, last week about um, this track. And she talked about like, you know, obviously, she, as she would, uh, that Future did such an amazing job on the track and all that kind of stuff. I was kind of expect, hoping for more from from him, though, in this. And uh and I think I, like the most of the album is going to be produced by Nicholas Jar, which led me to believe mm. that I this might be just a once-off kind of yeah. I say single. It's not going to sound like this. Maybe. I think it's going to fit in with a bigger kind of narrative. Like yeah. it's probably going to be like you know a cinematic album from start to finish, and this is you know the high point. Yeah. It's, it says um, in the press release that this is all about the heartbreak, the kind of the breakup period after um, Rob, with Robert Pattinson. So you know, I'd R. say R. that relationship. Yeah, or yeah. IP love. Um, so I'd say there's going to be kind of a lot of arcs in this album and this is the one that was the most kind of you know palatable yeah for the masses yeah i i can see this being a track that people who don't know or listen to fk twigs kind of finding her through um which you know can't really be a bad thing but yeah um, it could be a totally calculated move in yeah. order to do that and i have no problem with that because she deserved to be yeah, um, the more people listen, to I think it's insane that it's her second album. Like, I just yeah. feel like know, she's just been so part weird. of our part of the fabric for so long. You're kind of like, oh, you're only on album number and two. And that that first EP kind of felt like an album. It was it just sprung up out of nowhere, fully formed with this amazing narrative around it and, and within it as well. But yeah, it's it's a it's a bop. Yeah, interesting to hear her talk about her first album as if she didn't really have full control over it. Funny enough, so that was interesting to hear because I thought it was very of her um our own making a lot of it but maybe not so this could be her first completely controlled album in terms of her artistic narrative well yeah if she's working with well, if she's working with jack antonoff anyway on yeah. that one that's he i like i don't want to bring him up again but like he seems to be able to it's okay you can't okay it's okay thanks uh he seems to be able to sharpen the incredible skill sets that the people he works with already possess yeah, yeah. so that's like, like that's an obviously an amazing thing and then if he's working with, she's working what a good producer should do uh nicholas jar yeah which i don't know that could be an interesting good either way i yeah. i'm excited for that certainly it that matches her pairing yeah, yeah. avant-garde I like, sensibilities all yeah that kind of stuff, i think they'd probably be very aligned on not necessarily making everything as palatable as yeah. it needs to Less be is more yeah always. definitely yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely interesting. Okay, we move on to our second track uh, this week. It is from Kojak and Luca Palm. A song is called "Spit That Out." Spit that out, spit that out Get my name from out your mouth Bitch don't make me pull your chain And send the police to your spouse Spit that out, spit that out I'm not here to make you proud I won't talk on what they'll make me money Boy, you're striking out Talking funny, what about I'm a king out in the south My north's been fucking with me Since my mommy pushed me out Trying to make a pretty penny With a pen up in the bookies Bet I make a milli quicker writing Hate me, oh, you fuck me That's relentless And I meant when I said the city's buzzing Somebody shook the hive and started kicking out my cousins Catch your cases kicking off, I want whatever's in your cupboard Take a digger to the doll and let the family fucking govern Lord above us, at least I split it with my brothers Should pay me what you owe me, for I snatch it from your covers Boogie my name in a black Suzuki, coming for your mother Make her tell me what I wanna hear, then tell her that I love her Speak that out, speak that out that was a new track from Kojak and Luca Palm from their Green Diesel mixtape. A short, 
collaborative mix that came out uh, 20 minute, 21 minutes uh, mixtape from last week obviously Kojak and Luca Palm are part of the Soft Boy Records crew uh, they have been frequent collaborators in the last couple of years and on stage mostly as well and this kind of I think this is uh, I was originally thought this was maze, mainly Luca Palm's project or a way of introducing him but kind of feels very the same in that the two of them are equal um, that song is a production by a producer called Matt Finnegan. Um, and to me, it's one of the standout tracks on the uh, EP or mixtape, whatever you want to call it. Dre, what do you think of it? I really like this. Um, I thought it wasn't a new song because I I now know that I'm 99% sure that they played it at uh, all together now. And when I heard it, it was just so familiar to me. I'm like, oh, no, I know this. Um, so it really, really stuck in my head from then. But yeah, I mean, the the hook on this is unbelievable. It's it's just, yeah, he like Kojak seems to be getting that bit more hookier as he moves away from the Delhi Daydreams kind of yeah. conceptual piece. Um, and I think it suits him down to the ground. This is, this is a really, really good track and I can... I can hear it in um, the surviving cultural spaces around the place, definitely. <laughs> uh, Lou? Yeah, I, soft boys getting on the hard boy. Like, it's really, yeah. I like the kind of grit yeah. and I really like the kind of experimentation he seems to be doing with his voice. Like, maybe kind of he's getting, like, he obviously is a fantastic artist anyway, but it seems to be kind of a growing confidence in himself and to maybe go off the blueprint of what he thought he was going to be. So yeah, like a, yeah, sure. I think I totally agree with that sentiment. It's... Uh, it's refreshing in a way, but also like it, it could be the danger that on this mixtape you kind of uh, do what everyone else is doing and sound like everyone else. But there's enough detail and uh, imagination in the production and the voices and the vocal ticks and all that kind of stuff and just detail in there all, all mm. through that. I'm like, OK, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, they I really think they're, they're very good at kind of capturing characters. And this is just yeah. like another extension of some other character that they've yeah yeah but i mean it's basically figured. this whole ep is about sex yeah and uh, uh they're having some ha- 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 well <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll move on to a track from uh, alex cameron and this song is called stepdad <laughs> now that you know why i'm leaving and your mom's yelling out that she hopes i don't come back of course she would say that Forget what I told you about your demons They're just thoughts in your head while you sleep no more than that Now fetch my duffel bag If my ride ain't here then it's coming I can feel it not so far away And I know you're angry youngin Dry your eyes up, or you won't see Big dog walking away Now if you think I'm chasing the seasons Like a van is someplace to be I'm your stepdad And I know they say I'm scheming to leaving Dreaming my life away But if you see my name in the headlines And they're all pissing on me Step dad and I know they say I'm 
Yeah, that is Stepdad by Alex Cameron. It sure is. Um, uh, my favorite thing about Alex Cameron is that his Wikipedia page says Alex Cameron born circa 1990. Like it oh, wasn't that long ago. That's too. like Mariah Carey. It's like, is she 50 or 51 on her Wikipedia page? Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so yeah, Alex Cameron is from Australia. Um, I first came to him through a brilliant track he did with Angel Olsen I say about two or three years ago <sighs> that song is so good it's so good it, it's one of my it was my favorite song of that one of my favorite songs of that year me too yeah it was just like glorious song it was one yeah. of those like end of film kind of Absolutely. closing credits you're driving uh, into the sunset duet yeah it was You've brilliant stolen 50 grand it's in the backseat like that it's yeah it was a really kind of powerfully synthy uplifting thing which i mean i don't think he manages that much here but i've i put this on the playlist for this week just because when i was listening to it and when it hits that stepdad bit in the chorus i just started laughing i just thought it was so (laughs) humorous and just so odd and so strange um i do really really like the synth going through it it's kind of relentless and it's wonky it is, yeah, it is. Like, He's kind like, of that sort of thing, though. He, this his is like music something is you, would, you would hear in like Napoleon Dynamite almost. Yeah. From, from like a, a stepdad or something. Yeah, in, in I think there's room. something kind of quaint and weird about it. And I don't know, I can't put my finger on why I'm so interested in it, but I'll definitely be listening to it for a while. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Lou, how do you feel about Alex Cameron and specifically e- this song? Yeah, I feel like it's an in joke too far. <laughs> 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 like, it's just like, yeah, especially when it gets to the chorus, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like do you know that point in now musically it's better than what I'm going to compare him to now but do you know that point in Weezer, Weezer's career I'm a full I'm a three first three albums Weezer fan but do you know Same. that point in Weezer's career where they're kind of like oh you've gone from the loser to being the creep in the corner mm. like that's what I feel like this is okay um and I just can't can't get on board so with he, being creeped out <laughs> he okay. started out his career with this kind of um persona of being a failed entertainer and failed musician so I think he's definitely somebody who relies a lot on character um and a lot on kind Pity of he has like, none <laughs> yeah. um yeah so I, I I don't know I just found it really funny I just thought it was okay. well you can find out on Friday if the rest of the album has uh laughs galore like this well he's um, got four four tracks out around this um and they're all yeah, there's one I do not. It's like. actually like a single that Millhouse's dad would release, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's why you love it. <laughs> this is your thing. It. This, this is, is your sweet spot. Can I can I borrow a feeling <laughs> yeah. for this generation? Absolutely. What do you think, Nat? Uh, yeah, I just kind of enjoy its silliness. That's really it. Yeah, um, I yeah. can't say much more than that. I can't. Uh, not on a. I don't have a girl for this song at all. Yeah. Like sure. you probably won't listen to it again. I kind of maybe I would in a, That's where if I, I was am. feeling funny. Was feeling like, funny, feeling yeah, groovy, feeling goofy. <laughs> maybe when I was hungover and I was I was giddy. Okay, I'd be like I put on stepdad for the crack. <laughs> I, I like that. I like there's, there's room for those songs in the world. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's not much room for them, no, unfortunately. No. So trying to make a, giddy. He's thankfully he's not trying to make a career out of it. Well, well I mean, <laughs> two albums. I think he kind of has, yeah. But just this specific and thing. And he has like a very like devout following like his fans are really really into him says of Andrea course big fan. <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> okay well that's enough of Alex Cameron thanks uh, Alex time for Lou's choice for this week it is from uh, Muna and the song is called uh, number one fan what are you wouldn't you like if I believe those words from Bono? 
is from their second album mm-hmm. i believe and uh tell me a bit more about Muna. i haven't had a chance to listen to this album yet i like this though yeah um they're like an la band uh socal band and they kind of go for this really kind of like dark weird pop that i quite like and i think maybe their their big whirl came when they were supporting harry styles on his first solo tour um and they kind of have like a kind of an interesting thing where they didn't want to initially be kind of like marketed as this like queer kind of rock band. But then they're like, actually, no, let's own it because when we were kids, we needed to have that to look up to. Um, so now they're fully embracing it and it's kind of all there in this. Well, not necessarily in this song, but in their new album, it's all kind of lined there. Cool. And that's them. I like the beat on this for sure. I'm into it. I like this. It's All you have to do is play that beat and it's in my heart and I'm like, yeah, yeah. give it to me. More mm. of that. So I'm it's kind of like if Shura had a sense of humor or something, oh. isn't it? <laughs> Shade. No. Shady. She's got heartbreak. They got humor. She's a song called Princess Leia. That's her level of humor. <laughs> um, oh yeah, we should say Alex Cameron is playing a gig here on 22nd of September. Turns out he's... You're both looking at me he's like <laughs> I am. Because <laughs> you stan. You stan like, Alex oh, Cameron. Like, so I you, can, you can't you, wait. You can report back. It's in the button factory. Um, no, I'm, I'm... Yeah, We'll, we'll be checking in with you. Sunday night, how tragic. It is um, totally going to be a Sunday night gig, isn't it? It is a Sunday night gig. It's yeah. the same night that I will be doing something that I'll plug No, later. the 27th oh, yeah. is a Thursday, guys. 22nd of this month. No, it's not. No, it's a Sunday. Oh, <laughs> I'm in the wrong year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Um, what do you think of this song I by like Muna? It. It's uh, Muna is how it and right? Yeah, <laughs> it sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah. Or M-U-N-A. Let's go with that. No, that's not yeah. Yeah. I didn't feel like the, the lyrics were anything to like write home about or anything, but I didn't necessarily need them to be either. Um, uh, there was a, the opening line caught my ear though. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what it is now, but it's about like, well, everyone hates me or something like that. Yeah, like, I kind of um, not your standard for opener. Do you remember? Uh, I don't know. This might be uh, too niche, but uh, Sky Frere had a song called Obsess- Obsession. Um, I kind of think it goes into that. It's just that really kind of weird, twisted, dark pop. Mm. Well, not like really weird, but it's just sort of the outsider pop. Yeah. Which I'm always on board with. Yeah. Give me give me an outcast pop star and I will go for them. Yeah. Great. That's it for our songs of the week this week. We're gonna move on to our album of the week, which is from Kindness. Uh, the album is called Something Like a War, third album from Adam Bainbridge. And uh this is the sort of opening track. It's a diptych of two tracks. And this is the second one. This is called Raise Up from Kindness. Raise up, raise 
Okay, that is one of the opening tracks from the Kindness album. Um, it's called Something Like a War, third album from Adam Bainbridge. Uh, I'll give you a quick background into Adam Bainbridge if you need it. Uh, first released a, started it was a touring DJ for Dev Hines, former band Test Icicles. Uh, went on to release in 2012 one of what was one of my favorite albums of that year, which was called uh, "World You Need a Change of Mind," which was co-produced by Philip Zadar. Um, it was kind of notable because it arrived just before the kind of 80s wave of uh, craze of going back to the 80s and doing a brawl again. Um, he had a clear love for music of that period, so much so that there was a few curious things. He had a, a four standout tracks on that album in 2012. Um, two of them were actually covers. Uh, one of them was a cover of, and I mentioned this the last time we talked about him, an Anita Dobson track called Anyone Can Fall In Love, which itself was basically just Anita Dobson singing over the theme tune for EastEnders because she was in the she was in in the soap at the time, so it was 1986. So, and then he also had a, a cover of the Replacements uh, swinging party and tracks like Cyan and stuff like that. Then uh, had an album out in 2014 called Otherness, which I found pretty directionless. Uh, most notable on it was that uh, Kalela was on it and Robin was also on it. And here we come again. Actually, you should say uh, Adam Bainbridge now uh, identifies uh, non-binary, and so they, I should say. Um, so this is their first album in five years. Um, it is... In that intervening time, um, Bainbridge has worked on albums from Solange, including A Seat at the Table. Uh, most recently, albums from Robin, Honey uh, specifically, and uh, Blood Orange as well. Obviously, Dev Hines, who he started his career with, which kind of makes a lot of sense to me. There's a lot of music here that sounds very close to Dev Hines, and you can't really like throw shade at him for it because they're basically grown up together, so they're kind of very similar artists. Um and then, uh, yeah, so uh, both recent albums from Blood Orange, uh, Negro Swan, and what was the one before that called? Uh, Freetown Sound. Freetown Sound, yes. Uh, so that is a quick primer on kindness. Uh, on this album, we have a a load of different guests uh, who he's, they have met along the way, including, uh, it also is mixed by the late uh, Philip Zadar. Um, so guests on this include the likes of Senna Bose, Sanfa is heard in there at one point, um, Jasmine Sullivan, uh, Bahamadia, and Robin features on three songs. So um, I think very quickly, I'll just give my um, opening on this. Uh, I found this much more focused and interesting than certainly the last album, Otherness. I found that quite bland and directionless and just didn't really, there was not, not much to grab onto or take away from it. And this one, it's more of a mood and I kind of like it in the same way. It's kind of part of almost like that, um, the movement. And it makes sense in a way because they have worked with Blood Orange and Solange of like, like this woke R&B pop kind of thing where it's like all about encouragement and uh, uplifting yourself and um, using a lot of R&B and soul and disco and a bit of house in there. So I hear a lot of that in here and I'm enjoying this a lot more than I thought I would after the first listen. I felt like this was just a continuation originally of Otherness and I've gone back and listened to that twice this week and it has not grabbed me at all. So I am enjoying this a lot. I think the guests on it really do help lift it and I love Adam Bainbridge's voice anyway, but I think combined with um, others, especially some strong female singers, you get um, a really nice, not life-changing, but certainly nice album. 
Mm. Yeah, I like at the at the start of the album they have that vocal clip of someone going, "You can't mix that with that," and you kind of forget that you know that we didn't kind of have this huge crossover of genres that's so readily available before, and that the whole kind of collaborative process is it's becoming more kind of popular now with artists like these because they are kind of realizing that it is there's benefit in bouncing things off each other and bouncing art off each other. And this album just has kind of like, the f- it's kind of like a full package in a way. Like there's a kind of a nice kind of emotional arc to it. Um, like at the start, it's very kind of like, you're like, yes, I, can, I want to hear this in a club. And then of course, when Robin comes in, you're like, okay, let's sit down and cry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I want to cry to this in a yeah. club. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, Robin continuing mostly her theme of, of Honey by Not releasing those bangers mm. and just what doing, a tease. <laughs> doing the, yeah, crying in the, in the corner jams um which he's very good at but i don't know if i needed two of them <laughs> look we'll take what we can get i'll take what i can get we never know how long yeah. she she wants to keep releasing things so. that's true yeah she um, might stop yeah. <laughs> don't yeah, that's true hear. that's true also uh very good songs about robin actually side note um this week we're tearing oh really oh have that's a, exciting that. great um i one of the quotes from bandred is he doesn't do, they don't do a lot of interviews, but uh, one of the quotes recently uh, was uh, kind of makes sense in what you're saying is like, as I was embraced by more people, for example, working with Solange for two or three years on her record, gave me the confidence and the freedom to include other stylistic things from different genres or different voices and different kinds of musicianship because I felt embraced at a certain point And that was a kind of a very generous form of permission. And I definitely feel like uh, lyrically and musically, there's a lot in that in terms of the album and how it like is about encouragement and, you know, uh, celebrating and being you know good to the human condition and good to yourself there's a lot of that in this album mm-hmm. I the my first listen of this it didn't grab me there was bops on it that I liked and I really liked the the warning with Robin and I was like oh maybe there's actually only two songs on this I like but the more I listened to it the more I kind of sunk into the overall message and theme around that you know, self-care as a political act and, you know, being yourself and being inclusive. And um, yeah, I I found I connected with that a lot more and musically as well. I I don't know why I thought it was just kind of like remaining at the same pace the first time I listened to it. But actually, like, like you said, there is these kind of, there's these peaks and troughs of, you know, here's here's your upbeat dancey bit and here's your bit where you yeah, were like lost without needs to be played in Lumo or pure choice mm. or yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhere like, that is a bop um and i think it it ends really really strongly and really beautifully we call it down um i'm a really really big fan of that track for and, sure and the surprise appearance from bahamadia yeah anyone knows bahamadia but like one of the original like female mcs who was like had a huge reputation back in the day I first heard her on a sound bombing compilation. We're talking like 1998 or something like that. So I've been around a long time. Chicago artist, I believe. Um, nice to hear that John, that generation represented as well. Um, yeah, I think if there's anything, any criticism to be leveled at this, it's the same with all of Kindness music is that it sounds a bit too polished or coffee table almost. Yeah. Uh, it does always, they have always had that issue with music, even though, on the first album, there were a lot of peaks. There were a lot of very obvious peaks. There was a song called That's All Right on it that was basically a Prince song, and it was so much fun. And I listened to it on the car yesterday, and I was like, it's still fun. It's still, like, amazing crack. And the song called Gee Up, which was, like, two minutes long and just, like, 
Errol Alkin moved, changed, did an edit of it that turned into an eight minute jam and it was like songs that were just ripe for dance floor and I love when people get that right where they're able to have an album which has some dance floor bangers on it but also you know quieter moments and stuff like that I would have loved just maybe one or two more uh, lifts on this just to give it a bit more of a less of a not monotonous feel but like same feel throughout yeah I feel like this is an album that it it can absolutely work as background noise but I don't think that that necessarily means that there isn't depth there. Um, but I think maybe, yeah, like you said, just a, a couple of more punches, whether it's the kind of sadder, slower, like more emotionally desperate moments, like what you get with Robin, maybe I could have done with a little bit more of that, a little bit more of the the opposite ends of the spectrum there. Um because there, there was a few times during it where I'm like, oh, I kind of, I kind of can't wait to get to that song I liked, you know. Um, but I mean, it, it absolutely has the, the depth there if you want to go and look for it, do you know. Mm. And I think that that's that's a kind of a valuable thing, um, where it kind of crosses over both worlds. It's definitely uh, in two halves anyway. Like it is, yeah. there's introspection at the end. And yeah. Then, yeah. So, you, you know, you can just hit pause when you need to. Yeah. 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 Take, simple, take a simple breath. Simple take I a would moment. definitely play Raise Up at Lumo, I think, for sure. I think yeah. That'd be a nice one to hear. It's, it's an absolute banger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd like to hear it. And it works really well with the first track, which I didn't realize at first that was happening. And I was like, well, what's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> me neither. Yeah. Yeah. So stick them both together. Play oh. them together. Might do that. Magic um, made. Yeah. Uh, so Kindness is playing Wheelands in February, actually, which I think would be oh, a very oh. interesting gig. That was announced on the Monday after Electric Picnic. Right. So Were they playing Picnic? No. Right. Everyone missed that, basically, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. right, yeah. like, I went back, it was on, I was on Selective Memories website after they announced the Bonnie Ver gig, and I realised, oh, Kindness is playing. Mm. I was like, when they announced that? And I looked at my emails, it was like... Wheelands is, feels too small. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think it'll be a really good gig, because yeah. Kindness, is, I don't think, has ever played here, I believe. Maybe Metropolis mm. once, I... No, that could be completely wrong. I don't think Kindness ever know. played here. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Kindness live before. Has not played much. I was back in the day of 2012 in at South West was supposed to see Kindness live, and I don't think it worked out. Mm. So, yeah. But uh, I'm enjoying the album. Uh, I, as I said, I don't think it's going to blow your mind, but I think it's a very pleasant, um, kind of a nice listen. It kind of, yeah. I tell you what, it's good good car driving album <laughs> and i yeah. think it's nice to think that how much music all of the artists involved are probably sitting on as a as a result of collaborating with each other because yeah. obviously the, um they would have spent a lot of time at robin making honey so you're kind of like how many how many songs did you guys actually put together how during many variations this of, time? of this do yeah. we have yeah. yeah so like kind of when you look who else is kind of who they've collaborated with it's exciting to think that there's we've got so much more yeah so much more in different outlets yeah yeah all right let's play a bit more from uh, this is one of my favorite tracks actually from the album uh, softness as a weapon Under your 
That is Softness as a Weapon from uh, Kindness's album Something Like a War, out now on Female Energy is the label. So uh, that's pretty much it for our, our review section this week. Uh, it remains to for me to ask. Uh, I'll ask you, Dre, first. No, customer. don't ask me first because okay. I have to look up something. Lou, I'll ask mm. you first. Uh, I, I think we know the answer already because you've been spending your time with the Fringe. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what have you been reading, watching, listening or consuming in the last week? I have been consuming Fringe, Fringe, Fringe. <laughs> uh, yeah, nonstop. Any fringe. suggestions you can give to people who might be listening in the next couple of days and who want to see something before the end of the Fringe? Okay, so nine weeks is sold out, but try your best to get a ticket at the venue the night of showing. Um, Symphony of Worms is meant to be amazing. I'm going to see that on Sunday. And what is, oh, Admin is another great one that people are like kind of really talking about. And I think I'm pretty sure a lot of them are, oh, and Starlet, I'll add Starlet at the very end. That's written by Alison Spittle and starring lots of great Dublin actors. So yeah, running till September 21st. Yeah, September yeah. 21st, 22nd is all finishing. I can't go to anything until next week because I'm at Sounds from Sip Harbour from Friday which is also culture and interesting too speaking of it though I did uh, as part of Sounds from Sip Harbour I did go to see I did drive down to Cork last night just to see Swan Lake Loch Nahela <sighs> it was one of the best things I've ever seen you're it so passionate about ballet uh, I'm just it was so ch- do you know what like I go to gigs all the time and I don't I'm not great at going to theatre and I'm not great at going to shows uh, other than that or even cinemas sometimes um, but to make the effort to go see something like that, it really fails. I know a lot of people have seen it by now because it's been out for a couple of years and it's been touring all over the world, really. But uh, it's going to the US now, I think, next. But it's running um, tonight and tomorrow night in, the, in Cork Opera House. And it's just a beautiful mix of drama and dance and Did tragedy you know Swan and Lake before? Uh, no. Did you know the ballet at all? No, but I got, oh, yeah, I think I did. I think, like, I knew the general story. Yeah. So, to see how they subverted that in an Irish context. Yeah. It's like taking the field and Swan Lake and uh, an end of Walsh play and just, you know, like beautiful dance and uh, just belly laughing comedy as well. Okay. All in, yeah. Like, all of it. It's It's tough at times, but it's also absolutely hilarious. And, quite disarming as well um so yeah i would go and see it again in a heartbeat so so that's uh, i also want to see uh once upon a time in hollywood i don't really know why i did now um i don't <laughs> May really... I recommend extraordinary instead oh yeah that's on out yeah is it? um i think it's like this friday um so that is made by the guys from daddy uh daddy yeah, and uh, Daddy, um, starring Maeve Higgins and Will Forte, and it's made by Blinder Productions, and it's all uh, a lot of it is filmed in Charleville Castle, home of Castle Palooza. Hey, um, so it's amazing. It's like nationwide meets Ghostbusters. That seems to be the tagline, but it's not just great <sighs> in an Irish sense. It's great in a I think this will be big. Okay, world cool. Sense. Yeah. Uh, Will Forte was at my DJ set in uh, Hangdai uh, earlier la- this year or last year, whenever they were Now you know filming. why. <laughs> yeah, and I found out like on the night why, and I was like, oh, cool. Will. I was like, it was one of those, like, I did not know they were making this film. Yeah. And then I turned around and I saw, I was like, that guy looks like Will Forte from Saturday Night Live. And then I was like, it is him. What the fuck is he doing here in Hangdai? It was like, he must be a dumb for a And then I found out, I was like, cool. Anyway, just one of the, one of the, few people who's uh, who's been famous and been out of DJ shadow of mine so oh yeah, yeah. who else <laughs> <laughs> well Alia Shaka who was over here oh, right. uh, filming for uh, another film that's about to be released uh, that's already out animals yeah, yeah she was at Lumo as well and then a couple of other famous actresses who 
uh, came to Luma as well. Oh my god, Cat uh, and Alfie were at Luma once. Who? Cat and Alfie from EastEnders. Shut up. What? Do you remember this? No way. Yeah, Cat and Alfie were like filming like a, a breakaway or like a, an episode that wasn't part of EastEnders. A special episode, I believe. That's <laughs> the words I'm looking for. Oh, and yeah, they were there. All vaguely. Yeah, and they were in well. Lumo and oh. uh, it was very exciting. How I weird. would have lost Cat my mind. Slater and Alfie Moon. <laughs> <laughs> So there we are. Oh, weird. Um, so what's been, what's um, been going on with you? I've have you seen any famous people recently? I have not. My boyfriend saw Adrian Dunbar. Um, Does he count? Yes, because I've just finished Line of Duty. I've done it. Oh, I still haven't done it. Oh my God. It is, I'm bereft now. Like genuinely, I, I just, I get it. I get what all the fuss is about. It is such stunning television. Like, it's just, it's really really funny, but it's also these like what, what like my favorite things in television or film are like police interviews with suspects and court cases. Like I, I'll watch a court case or like a jury room or something, anything where there's like really really long complicated dialogue to do with like law and catching people out and stuff, which is this whole show. So um, yeah, finish line of duty. Um, I'm probably gonna do the bodyguard next because. That is oh, made by the same people. That's good crack. That's is good it? Crack. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's like the same it people. It's a bit silly, but it's good. And then I uh, read a book, um, Idaho by Emily Rus- Ruskovich, um, just because I like the cover. Um, it's a cool story. It, you kind of think it's going to be a murder mystery, but then it isn't. It's actually just like reading a really, really long poem. Um, it's e- extremely beautifully written, almost sometimes a bit too much. Um, I'm like, there's only so many ways you can describe a table or the light hitting the table. And um, you're really signing it to me. But, now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it it is be- it's good if you like really if you like tables. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, if yeah, you'll be all about it. But um. No, really, really lovely book. Um, just not what I was expecting it to be. And coming up, I'm going to see Fleabag, the play, but be, as my mother would say, beamed in to the cinema um, in the IFI tomorrow. And I'm going as well on Monday as well. So that's... That reminds me of like my... I didn't realize for years, but like my parents called the remote control the zapper. Oh, the, yeah, 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 the zapper. And, and then yeah. I said it at some point when I was living somewhere else and they were like, what are you talking about? What's the zapper? It was yeah. like, well, the remote control. Yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. My dad calls it the buttons. The buttons. Where's the buttons? Where yeah. the buttons? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that'd be interesting. The Fleabag, flea is it she in it? Yeah, Stephen so it's, it's so Fleabag started as a one-woman play oh, yes. uh, in yeah, London, yeah. and she's doing the play in London, but it's going to be, like I said, beamed into cinemas around the world. Um, right. So I'm going, yeah, two nights. Sure. I d- I'm Are going sure? two nights. Yeah, I'm going on Friday and Monday because uh, tickets sold out like straight away for both the Lighthouse and IFI, and then they were... They were re-released in both cinemas. And me and my best friend, Sarah Marie, we, were, we both... Um, like I, I bought the tickets for the lighthouse center, the screenshot, and I was like, I got us tickets. And she just sent back, haha, and then sent me the screenshot of her buying us tickets for a different night. So we're just gonna go boat nights and we're gonna drink um cans of GT from MS and we're just gonna have a really lovely, a really flea bag time. Yeah, it's gonna be lovely. Very good. Yeah. Not gonna bring a mineral. Um, I might bring a mineral. Yeah. Uh, no, they don't let you do that, do they? I don't know, who knows. <laughs> Um, and so you're just going to go to, uh, Lou, you're going to go to the Fringe shows forever and ever um, for, yeah. the, for the next week. I actually have a Fringe show every day until next Thursday. 
you should have may as well just ask to be a judge at this point yeah yes you know, if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and do you have a pure shores coming up I do have a pure show coming up. Uh, it is on... Plug your stuff. Yeah, it's on the 20th of September. I keep saying February, which makes me worry about my brain. Oh, <laughs> but uh, September 20th, which is a Friday. And it's also my birthday. Yay. Um, September so, birthday buds. Oh, yeah. So, um, Virgo? Uh, Virgo. And Virgo? my birthday is actually Emily the 22nd, Bar. but it's Billy Piper's birthday that weekend. So if you like Billy Piper... There's going to be some Millie Piper songs played. <laughs> I'll be celebrating my birthday the next night, which is on the 28th. But uh, uh, my birthday is on 28th, but uh, 21st, Fatley and Mo. So we'll have a birthday buddy weekend. Uh, so we'll just be drunk constantly. Yeah, I'm a Libra though, as, as oh, okay. I had to be pointed out last week mm. when the suggestion of a Virgo club was put out there. There's a lot of people who have birthdays coming up. Yeah, because um, all of our parents are having sex at Christmas time. Yeah, I'm so. November, um, so I'm a Valentine's baby. Oh, cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gross. Uh, if you want to keep that, that particular weekend going, well, um, on the 22nd, there is a Kate Bush listening party for Hands of Love in Lost Lane, and I will be on the panel for that. So if nice. you want to do 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Look at us all with our many gigs. That's yeah. a full <laughs> weekend. And uh, yeah, yeah uh, we're doing Sounds from Safe Harbor this weekend, so uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to have a full uh, weekend in Cork. And uh, and then this, is it next weekend after that? Then we're talking about yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Everything's very soon. Lou, you had a show on the Fringe a couple of years ago. I did. How uh, did you find that experience? Um, I learned I'm not a performer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I so the show is called Why Won't You Have Sex with Me, and I wrote it and star in it, starred in it, uh, just me on the stage. And yeah, like I, I was comforting someone who who fluffed one line in their show the other day, and I was like, I dropped two whole scenes because <laughs> my memory. And then you just forgot. Them. Just skipped ahead. Just full on skipped ahead, and Were it they wasn't integral to the. Well, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd imagine there'd be some <laughs> some linear uh, yeah. essential uh, lines there, um, but it wasn't until I had like a prop that I was like, oh, I just skipped two whole scenes. Um, but yeah, throw the prop off the stage. <laughs> yeah, terrible. Uh, so I don't have the memory to be a performer on a stage, but I would yeah really enjoy the whole making of art and yeah, kind of continuing to kind of be teasing around with that idea with other bits and bobs so you know art lives on somehow yeah and i i'd say you know like you maybe would you encourage other people to do that i think it's obviously a good thing to do um yeah definitely because i think a lot of people think that there's this big blockade when it comes to making art the thing is the thing with making art is you have to be good at applying for grants and that is a language so you learn how to speak that language of applying for grants so you can make the art and put it on yeah. but don't think that just because you've never made something before doesn't mean that the fringe isn't for you so just like learn how to jump through those hoops and yeah jump them yeah very good that's the same with every basically arts grant or music grant or anything like that it's the language that matters mm. too much sometimes which should, should be democratized in some way. Mm. But anyway. And also, it's okay to make a thing and, and not put it on. Just do it. Just make the thing. Just write, what, write what your play. What are you trying to say? I'm just saying. Just, just what, Have you got a play when I went back there? You're I trying to justify something novels. to yourself. <laughs> no, but the thing is, I think as well, the, the collaboration is like one of the best things 
that you can be doing like because and that maybe this is how we save Dublin I don't know but like collaboration is just so important in terms of not being afraid to ask someone to help out or not being afraid to meet someone for coffee and just like fluff uh, pull out an idea um because I I wouldn't have been able to do that by myself like I had help from like so many people in the theatre world kind of like Dan Colley from Collapsing Horse was amazing Sean Dunn from uh Talking Shop Ensemble was brilliant um and then like just it was all friends and all people who I'd never really met before just happy to share their advice because they're in that position before and again that's like totally applicable to like every kind of branch of culture like don't be afraid to ask for help because everybody had to have their start somewhere yeah uh, like even in a small way um you need a creative fluffer yeah you need yeah Um, (laughs) a tweaker (laughs) yeah with lumo like there's three of us doing it and it's so much better than doing it on your own for sure even though it's just a club and three djs putting it on but like yeah Collaboration is kind of important. And, I work uh, alone. I don't really. <laughs> She's a lone ranger. But every time, you know, I mostly was myself until yeah. a few years ago. And now I have people working with me and doing the podcast every week with you. And, you hey, know. Yeah. Like but it, it is fun. Like you kind of definitely. forget that part of your brain that can just like ideas just sparking just because someone suggested something. And then it just kind of woke something in your brain that you didn't realize yeah. was was leaning that way. And that's the most exciting thing about collaborating, that you, you're not just staring at a laptop by yourself and like counting the hours down in the day. Yeah. Like you're kind of, you're actually just like buzzing off people. Absolutely. Um, another thing actually that's happening on September 20th, which is happening before Pure Shore, so I think you'll be okay, um, is in the Workman's Club. There's Culture Night on 20th September, mm-hmm. so a lot of things happening where you're putting on a gig in the Workman's with Silverbacks, Odd Morris and uh, the Merry Wallopers doing a trad set in the bar oh, class. and then a band called GIF. Yes. The, or GIF, GIF. Okay. What, it's GIF. How, how it's did GIF. they say it? I don't know. Did they I say haven't GIF? met them yet. I'm okay. not sure. I, I, I would say GIF. I don't accept GIF. No, I, I, that's not acceptable. Unless they like the cleaning product. Unless yeah. it's the That's G- fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's fine. But GIF is with a J. It's, 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 a, G, it's a G. Yeah. The uh, I've a G. Uh, one last thing to plug. I think today when this comes out, um, also an episode of Juvenalia that I was on with um, Alan and Paul Dwan talking about the enemy from the years 1989 to 1995 and it was so much fun to record so if you want to hear that and hear people who are a lot more knowledgeable and clever than me uh, and me agreeing ah, with them a lot yeah. um, go and listen to that and also Juvenalia is just good so yeah yeah plugged there final <laughs> final plant plugs fuck it uh we may as well uh we're doing the uh, cork podcast festival on october 13th oh my god i forgot yeah sunday come see us. at the kino and we've just been talking about our plans for that uh in the last it's week it's gonna be so huge there's gonna we're, be we're fireworks gonna do, yeah um, pyrotechnics i might bring a balloon as well <laughs> just one ghostly just balloon one, one ghostly balloon it's the second spookiest day of the year it's the 13th of october so you know yeah. we got to bring this It's not there. Friday, though. Thank it's you. not a Friday, no. Friday the 13th, this Friday, though. Oh, it's tomorrow. No, hang on. <laughs> Day after tomorrow. Today's Wednesday. Tomorrow now, if you're listening now. Yeah. Yes. Oh, dear. Um, okay, so that's it for almost this week, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, support us on Patreon if you like what we're doing. Patreon.com forward slash 909. Uh, did a radio show there this week. Put a, a couple of other things. More always coming. Also, we have t-shirts coming soon as well, uh, which you may have seen online. Um, so look out for that. Anyway, that's it. That's enough shop talk. Um, <laughs> thank you. We'll be back next week. I think we we're discussing the Charlie XCX album. We most likely will. Probably. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and whatever else happens in Dublin's creative classes or con- what yeah. collapses in the next week. Uh, I'm going to leave you with a track from a, a London-based uh, Dublin artist called Jen. Uh, it's a track that uh, we were just sent last week really into this reminds me a lot of the fade to mind kind of Kalela buzz uh, Jen just two ends and this song is called Star Signs 
Bye. Goodbye.